0: Well, good morning. (laughs) Thanks for checking in. Those of you online, good morning. Glad to have you with us. You may not be watching in the morning, but you're watching, so thank you. Hey, uh, I I use kind of a a grid sometimes just to simplify my life. And one of the grids um, that I use on a regular basis is a passage of Scripture that kind of helps me to center on the right path? am I doing the right thing and um, it's it's reiterated a couple of times in scripture but uh, I want to read it to you Um, it's a passage that if you've never memorized scripture this would be maybe the first one I would this would be the go-to one if you were going to work on it or as a family because it really simplifies everything let me read it to you let me read it to you and and as I read it to you you'll say oh I know that passage most you may may know a bunch of it it's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus goes on to say those two commands summarize all of the commands. All of the law of God are summarized. And that's why I like it, because it helps me. Now notice what it does. It says love God and love others. And in that order, I think, is really important that we, we love God, and, and when we love God and we know God loves us, then we have a capacity to love others, and that's really important. So I want to ask you, this last week, on a scale of, of, of one to 10, 10 being, you knocked it out of the park." one being, uh, not, not, not good at all." Um, how would you rate yourself? On, on that passage, loving God and loving others? Would you give yourself a four, five, seven? Would you go lower? How did you do this week? That means you, you kind of allowed God to kind of guide you and lead you. You were aware of the others around you. Um, how did it go this week? Because that's a great measure of how you're doing. Jesus says, if if you can do this, most of the other stuff will fall into line, right? Now, the reason I want to ask you that is because our culture kind of has a different message. Our culture basically says, don't worry about God. We don't even know if there is God. And worry about yourself. Take care of number one. Right, I mean that's that's what our, our our culture basically says. In fact, it gets to the place so much that when we see somebody doing something very sacrificial for somebody else, we think it as, as an amazing thing. And we point it out. We go, look at what they did. They did something that was kind of sacrificial and hard, and they they put themselves at risk, or they did this or that, and you go. That's exceptional, but in Scripture, that's not acceptable. Except a, exceptional. It's normal. That's the standard normal operating procedure that you love God and you love others. That you're aware of people who are around you who have needs and you meet those needs. That you don't have to do everything, but you should do something. And that if God brings a, a divine appointment into your life, you respond in a positive way. That's the whole story of, of, that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan, right? But our culture basically says, no, look out for yourself. Take care of yourself. Worry about yourself. Look in the mirror. Don't look out the window. Look in the mirror. What do you need? Not what do they need, right? So there's a movie out right now and uh, it's a kid's animated movie called Turning Red. And there's a quote in there that I want to read to you. It's about a 13-year-old girl. And um, her name is uh, Maylin Lee. And when she... The, 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 I haven't seen the movie. Okay, disclaimer. I haven't seen the movie, but I read the quote. And I thought, very interesting because it just it speaks of our culture. So when she gets too excited she turns into a big red panda, okay? Now, some of you maybe have taken your kids to that movie. Some of you haven't. Some of you go, well, I've heard bad things about it. I don't know if I should take my kids. Here's what I would say to you as a parent of five boys. Um, It's easy to say, well, I'm not going to take them to it. I'm not going to show them that. You you can choose to do that. That's, That's one way to do it. I would just say this: Whatever you do, if you take them to the movie, you go, you watch it, and you have a discussion about it. Use it as an opportunity to have a discussion because that could be really good. Um, I think what we what we should do is have those discussion and allow. I guess what I'm saying is be a parent about it. Don't just say, "Oh, go ahead," and you know we're not gonna. I'm not gonna check on it and see what it what messages it brings, and I'm not gonna talk. You know, don't do that. I mean. That would be wrong. So whatever you decide to do, be the parent. But let me read you one of the quotes, and this is the quote that I think is interesting. So the character is, like I said, a 13-year-old girl, and she says, I'm Malin Lee, ever since I turned 13, I've been doing my own thing, making my own moves 24-7, 365. And you know, I was thinking about that, and I was talking to people around about that, And that sounds like a 13-year-old. It sounds like a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old and a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old and a 64-year-old. Because unfortunately, that is kind of what we default to, isn't it? But here's the thing. If we live our life that way, it doesn't lead to anything good. And that's what our story, our parable about, is about today. So well, let's jump into the passage. Um, we can find it um, in Luke chapter 16, as Dave said, and starting at verse 19. So let me read it to you and then we'll talk about it. Uh, so, the, So what I'm basically saying to you, and, and let me just preface what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna tell you that our culture basically says The best way to live and the happiest way to live and the way that you'll find fulfillment and purpose is to look out for number one, live for yourself. And we hear it in movies and our culture and we read it in books and we're being told this, don't worry about God, don't worry about others, just worry about yourself. And what I'm telling you is that goes absolutely contrary to Scripture. That Scripture says exactly the opposite. Scripture, I read the passage. Jesus, this summarizes all of the Old Testament. Love God and love others. So there's a battle going on right now. And we're going to see Jesus telling a story that illustrates what happens when this gets played out. All right, Luke 16, verse 19. Where, there, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides this, between us and you is a great chasm. A great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone pass over from there to us. He answered there, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if somebody from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if somebody, someone, rises from the dead. Now, what are some things that we see here? Number one, we see that uh, the rich man is very rich. Um, the, the color purple is mentioned, which is the idea of royalty, the idea of wealth. And so this man has really, he's really wealthy. Uh, he's exceedingly wealthy. He's got fine dining, um, Lazarus, on the other hand, had to be carried to this man's gate every day. He's set before the gate. And so, um, by the way, it's interesting that the, the rich man knows Lazarus by name, but has never helped him, never given him the crumbs off his table. Never helped him at all. He has more than enough resources, but he hasn't chosen to do anything to help Lazarus. Lazarus, on on the other hand, is set by the gate. He's laying there every day. He's in um, a difficult situation. He has sores all over his body. He has nothing, so there's a contrast. In that day, um, well, let, let me just go a little further. So Lazarus is there. The the rich man knows he's by his gate. He's carried there every day, uh, by, probably by friends, hoping to get some help, some assistance by the rich man. He gets nothing. The rich man has all of these resources. He releases none of them. He does nothing to help, nothing to help, okay? The, uh, Lazarus, uh, la, um, Lazarus is, is laying there, and it says he's so, you know, decrepit and, and sick and, and, and unhealthy, that he's laying there with all these open sores and dogs are coming and licking his wounds. That's how bad it is for him. I mean, it's a neon sign that says help. <laughs> that he, that, that the rich man walks by every day and he does nothing, right? Now, my grandpa Sawinski would say... Um, and he came from Poland, and he, was, he always, often told us that when we had sores, let the dogs lick them because it'll help heal them. And I'm not a doctor, and, and I don't know if there's any truth to that. Or some of you are going, what? That seems like, like the really wrong thing to do. But my grandpa Sawinski used to swear that dogs licking wounds would make them heal quicker. So there you go. And I don't know why I told you that. Um, <laughs> some of you are going to go home and say, come on, Alfie, give <laughs> who knows now now what do we know about the rich in that day people thought the common belief was that if you were rich if you had a lot of money god liked you you had god's favor good you were you were blessed by god and and you, you must have done something right. If you were like Lazarus, you did something wrong. You deserved it. I mean, that's the whole book of Job, really. When you read about the book of Job, his friends come and say, Job, you know the reason you're suffering is you ticked God off. You must have done something. Because God doesn't just do this to people. People aren't like you don't suffer unless you did something to deserve it. So people would have looked at the rich man and they would have said, oh, honored by God, good guy. They would have looked at Lazarus and said, well, he did something. He or his parents did something um so um there, there there you go um interesting did you catch the dialogue between the rich man and Abraham he's basically still ordering Lazarus around right he's he's in he's in torment and he goes hey you know send Lazarus to serve me some water because I'm I'm so thirsty right now. And then he goes, say, send Lazarus to tell my, warn my five brothers, you know? So he's still ordering them around. He still hasn't come to grips that, 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 that it isn't like it used to be. There's this issue going on here. So there's a lot going on here. He, and he knows him by name, but he did nothing to ease his suffering. But now he expects Lazarus to still serve him, Right? I mean, this is how messed up it is. Now, the other interesting thing the passage says that I, uh, I want to touch on for a minute, it's Abraham, so the rich man basically says, we need to do this, and, and Abraham says, it's not possible, there's a gulf that can't happen, this, this is not gonna happen, and you know, so you, you have this whole gulf thing, there's a gulf between us, it's not permitted. And that's interesting, because there's a bunch of people today in our culture that want to know, they want to know, they want to speak to the dead. They want to speak to people who are gone, maybe family members or friends. They want to know, and many times people say to me, I just want to know if they're okay. I want to know if they, you know, are they, you know, are they still mad at me or whatever? And so people carry this burden and they go, they go to psychics and they go to mediums because they want to know, do do they, are they at rest? Do they, are they mad at me? Do they, you know, what is it they want me to know? Or where did they hide the money? Or something like that, you know. Um, that's wrong, but anyway. So I want to I answer the question because people have asked me this question over the years and I've never taken time, though I did a blog this week on it. Um, should a Christian visit a psychic? Should a Christian visit a psychic? Now, um, I just wanna read you, and I've got a bunch of passages and I spend more, I spend about eight minutes talking about it on a video, but I'm just gonna just take a few passages because I want to answer that question. Um, really, should anyone, but I'm gonna talk mainly to Christians here. So a passage from 1 Chronicles, it's very telling. It, um, it, it's gonna talk about King Saul. And, and look at what it says. This is 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. This is not a good thing. In the context, this is not a good thing. He's not saying, well, he did this and that was a good thing. It says, and he even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. This is not a good thing, okay? So this is the Old Testament. Clearly, this is, Saul is not, it, says, it didn't just say he was a bad king and he did wrong. It says, and he even did this. It's like, this is not good, okay? Let me give you another one. So a while ago, we were going through the book of Acts. And there's this strange story in the book of Acts where Paul is walking around town and there's this young girl and she's saying these things about Paul and his comrades, Luke and the others that are around, they're talking. She's talking and she's saying things. Now, this is a very telling passage, and it's a very interesting passage because I actually came across a, 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 a site where a pastor said, "I'm a psychic, and I have this ability and this power within me to predict and to you know do stuff." And I, and I thought about this passage and I thought, well, that's interesting. Now, let me read it to you. It's Acts 16, verse 16. You might want to write that down just to reference it later on. So Luke is giving the account. Listen to what happens because there's two interesting observations I want to make. He says this. Luke says this. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we, met, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she, could predict, she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling, okay? So you get the picture. It's a young girl. She's a slave. She tells fortunes. She earns money, not for herself, but for her owners, okay? She's a slave. Now, she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved, What? Is she lying? No, she's not lying. She's telling the truth. I don't think you could come up with a more concise message of what Paul was doing. So what does Paul do? Let me read that one more time. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Now, this is, to me, kind of funny. And it shows that Paul was human. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. <laughs> he finally got fed up with her saying this over and over and over. And he turned and he cast the Spirit out. Now, here's the two things, that, two things I want you to see from this. Number one this spirit was telling something was absolutely true, right? Absolutely true. But this spirit, Paul said, he cast it out. Now, if it was the spirit of God, would Paul have cast it out of her? No, he wouldn't have. That just shows you that evil spirits can say true things. And what I always ask people when they want to go to a psychic or they want to go to a medium is, how do you know, number one, whether the person is a charlatan? They've done research through Facebook and other things. They've researched your life. They've, they've, they're pretty sharp, and they figured it out, and they know how to ask leading questions. So they, they don't have the spirit, but they're very good at manipulation and reading and doing things, and they, they, they know how to. They're just lying to you. Or... They do have a spirit. And the spirit can say true things. But it's not a spirit of God. Right? Because that's that's what's going on with the girl here. The the, the point that, the the summary is 2 Corinthians 11.14 where uh, Paul says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So all I'm saying to you is If you're a Christian or whatever, just understand, you may be hearing something that's right, but it's coming from a dark place. It's not coming from God. Why do we assume it's coming from God? When he says, don't go to mediums, don't go to psychics, why do we assume that that it's coming from God? This little girl was demon-possessed. So you may be going to a person who is demon-possessed who's telling you maybe some is true and some is a lie. How do you know? So I don't know if that's enough to encourage you not to go to a medium or to a psychic, but I I, I would hope it would get you started to study the Scripture. And by the way, this is only a smidgen of what Scripture says, but I thought it was important to talk about. All right, let's jump back into the parable for a minute. I just thought that was interesting. I thought it was important to talk about just for a second. Um, Lessons from our parable. Number one, you can't do everything, but you should do something. You must do something. The rich man was dressed to impress. He was feeding his face, uh, caring only for himself. He had no concern or care for Lazarus suffering outside his own gate. Um, He must have walked by him daily, and he did nothing. 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 Some I've talked to people say, well, pastor, one day when I have more money and I'm better off, I'll, I'll, I'll do something. I say, you are a liar. I don't say that out loud, but I think it in my head. There's a lot of things in life that I'm glad that I don't say out loud because they might not be flattering to people. Um, but no, it's true. If you're not doing it now, then I don't believe you're going to do it later because if you... You have, right this very minute, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how much you have or how much you don't have, you have absolutely everything that God needs you to have to do what he wants you to do. You, you lack nothing. You, you, you can make up excuses as to why you don't have enough, but you have exactly what God wants you to have to do what you need to do. What you need to do this week to help other people out, to minister to other people, you already have. But we keep making excuses to say, well, one day I'm going to have it, and then I'm going to... No, you're not. Liar. So as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, um, you must have... You, you, you're, the, what happens is you're moved to help the suffering and the poor around you. Just, you have to do something. You feel compelled to do it. And and it's easy. It's easy to get overwhelmed, isn't it? You look at the world today, and you say, "What do you do? How do you help?" It seems oh, there's so much hunger and pain, and just you, you look at the situations around the world, and it never changes. On any given Sunday, we could stand up and say, "Throw my hands up and say what?" But here's the thing: you can't do everything, but you can do something. Do you remember the story about the boy who took the little starfish? They were on the beach. He's thrown them back in the water and the, the older man comes and says, you know, you're, you're not making any difference. And a little boy picked another one up, threw it in the ocean. He said, "Dead for that one. And I think that's the attitude we have to have. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And I just want you to know that God is bringing starfish into your life this week. And you can't fix them all. You can't help them all, but you can help some of them. Help the ones that God brings into your life. You see, your good works are a natural outpouring of your, of your faith. And one of the fruits of true repentance is compassion to those in need around you. The man, the rich man, had no compassion. He had more resources than he could, than he could ever spend in his lifetime. And yet he wouldn't give a crumb from this table to this poor suffering man outside his gate. James says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Your, your deeds don't save you, but they show that you have faith. If you don't have faith, you probably don't have deeds. All right, here's the second thing. You can't see what you're not, you, you can't see what you're not seeking, okay? You can't see what you're not seeking. So the rich man wanted someone to warn his brothers um, and, and here's what we have to understand, that our blindness goes beyond our eyes. It's a heart issue. We don't naturally seek God. That's the problem. And so the rich man asked, uh, asked to have Lazarus go into war and to warn his brother, he told, and he was told, well, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, now Moses and the prophets just means it's cover to cover, that they don't listen to the Old Testament teaching, uh, neither will they believe it if somebody is raised from the dead. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that if, so Abraham is essentially saying to the rich man, he's saying, even if Lazarus was raised, even if Lazarus went to your five brothers, even if he said, hey, your brother wanted me to come and warn you, and I was dead, now I'm alive, now you've been warned, he says, even if that happened, they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe. Well, how do we know? How do we know that's true? Well, there's an interesting story. This is, a, this is an interesting fact about all of the stories, the parables of Jesus. Did you know that there's only one person named in all of the parables of Jesus? There's a farmer. <laughs> there's a rich man who had barns. Yeah, there's a rich man in this one, right? There's, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, the Samaritan, right? There's the priest and the Levite. There's the guy that gets beat up on the side of the road. I mean, we can go through all the different parables, but no one is named. Only in this parable do we have a name. And what's his name? Lazarus. It's the only one of all the parables that where Jesus gives a name. Now, why is that? I think there's a point to it. I think it's a very interesting point. So let me develop it just for a minute. So we know that Jesus had friends. Friends. And he had three really good friends, a brother and two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, whose name was Lazarus, right? And so one day, Jesus is going about his business, and he's told, hey, your friend, Lazarus, is deathly sick. I mean, he's on his deathbed. It's, it's, it's bad. And so Jesus, you know, the disciples think, well, let's go. And Jesus says, no, i got to wait, um. Uh, We got to wait a couple days. He's not dead yet. (laughs) What? What What are you talking about? And so they wait, and he gets word that he's dead. And so Jesus says, okay, now it's time to go. And I'm sure the disciples are going, what is going on here, right? And so finally, Jesus goes, and he meets one of the sisters, and 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 they basically say the same thing. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Uh, The second sister comes. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And it says, it's a short, you know, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. He comes to the tomb, and he weeps, right? And then he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out, and he's resurrected. And he says, take off the grave clothes. And he takes off the grave clothes, and there's Lazarus, and he's alive, right? Okay, there's a dead guy that just rose from the dead. Now, what happens to Lazarus after his resurrection? Well, we we can see because we actually have an account of what happened to Lazarus after he was raised. John chapter 12, verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there at the house and came, not only because of him, in other words, they came to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so Jesus drew a crowd, but now Jesus is drawing a crowd because Lazarus is there, and people want to see Lazarus. And then it says this So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Do you see what's going on here? There's somebody who's been raised from the dead right before their eyes. A miracle right before their eyes. And what do the chief priests want to do? Do they want to say, Jesus, we're so sorry. We had had you wrong. You are the Messiah. Who else could raise the dead? But no, that's not what they want to do. They not only want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus. So, I think, The reason Jesus uses the name Lazarus in this parable is basically say, it's already been demonstrated. God has raised somebody from the dead. That person has been a witness to to men, and what do men choose to do? They choose to ignore it. They choose to kill him because they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. The chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. It, it, it doesn't change your heart. Basically, what Abraham is telling the rich man is, even if somebody, if Lazarus was raised and went to them, it wouldn't make any difference any more than it did to the chief priests. They're not going to listen. Miracles by themselves cannot melt a stony heart. Yeah, We often look for that one event that will change a person's heart, right? We say, if I could just do this, if we could just do this, if we could just do this. But until a heart changes, nothing changes. Only God can bring life to a dead and stony heart. It's not because we lack signs that people don't believe. There are many signs in this world. There are many good reasons to believe, but people reject them all the time. I find it interesting that even in hell, the rich man fails to repent, (laughs) right? What's he doing in hell? He's barking off orders for for, uh, Lazarus. Lazarus, give me some water. Lazarus, go warn my, you know. He still thinks he's in charge. He still thinks he's the boss. He still thinks he has his position. But the parable shows us that the fear of hell will never change your heart. The rich man never came to terms with his own sin. In fact, the rich man's logic is this, and this is the rich man's logic. If I had been warned, I would have repented. No, you wouldn't have, but that's what you were going to say. His logic is, if I had been warned, I would have repented. So therefore, go warn my brothers so they don't share the same fate as me. That's essentially what's going on here. He assumed that God's plan wasn't fair. And that brings us to the last point. You you can't cry out for justice and reject hell. Many people question, how could a good God send people to hell? Well, I would just say, um, here's the thing. These are the same people that say, I want justice. How about the many people who have been abused, murdered, just destroyed over the centuries by bad leaders, by bad people, who have faced no, they have, fa- they have done nothing. They have never faced their, their, uh, their, ac- their accusers. They've never faced the people that they... And, and from the graves, these voices cry out for justice. Right? People, right now, we're seeing it right now in our time, we're seeing people who are being brutally murdered, executed and their blood and their voices cry out for justice. It's wrong. Bad things are happening to people, and their blood, their voices cry out for justice. And you can't say, okay, but I don't want to believe in a place called hell. I don't want to believe in a final judgment. I don't want to do that. Well then, you're basically saying these voices will never be heard. They'll never be heard. If there's going to be justice, there needs to be a final justice. I think we all long for that day of final justice where the cries of the abused are finally heard and answered. We call that the great white throne. We call that, you read about it in Revelation, there's a day of judgment coming. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Everyone will be, the books will be opened and their, their deeds will be, will be called out. But here's the point. Fear of hell doesn't change a human heart. Living a good life out of fear of damnation is only practicing religion. If you're only doing it because you don't want to be punished, then you don't understand. You've seen that with your kids, right? When they do things because they don't want to get punished, the motivation isn't there. They're they they they're doing it because they have to, not because they want to. It's a whole different thing when they just do it because they want to please you or... You know, that's a whole different thing, isn't it? Uh, I want to close by reading a passage from uh, C.S. Lewis. And he talks about hell. He says, there's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without, it, without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is open. And what Lewis is saying is so true. No one will be in hell saying, I don't want to be here. Because they chose their whole life to live without God not worried about others around them. And that's where that path leads. That's why I began with that verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look out to God, look out to others. Live your life for others and you'll find, you'll find your life in doing that. Our world says, no, live for yourself. Hoard. Care for yourself only. Only. That life leads to a life of separation, but it's a life that you've lived here on earth and it's a life that will continue in hell. The worst thing about hell is that you will be separated from the one who made you, the one who made the universe, the one who made you in his image, and the one who came to give his life. And you will be forever separated from him. That is the worst thing. So in the end, the one question that you better have a good answer for when you stand before God one day is, what have you done with Jesus Christ? What have you done with my son? Stand with me, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's a hard one today, Father. This is a difficult passage. But it's so important for us to to reflect upon it and it's really important for us to think about the direction of our life. Where is our life going? And um, are we waking up every day saying, God, I want to serve you, and others, I want to serve you? Or are we only looking out for number one, ourselves? That's an easy perspective to say, to have, because we can have it, and we, we all default to it from time to time. But Father, help us to understand and learn something from this parable that will change us forever. Um, Thank you that we can um, make the most of those divine appointments that you give us every week to make a difference in other people's lives. Thank you, Father, we love you, but we love you because you first loved us. And thank you, Jesus, that you came as a rescue party of one to to take our sins, to um, give us life through your death. We don't understand it, we certainly don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. And we thank you, Father, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that's never called upon the Lord, today would be the day they say, Jesus, I realize I'm lost, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I realize Jesus is my only hope. And as I stand below the cross and I look up and I see the Savior dying on the cross for me, taking my sins, I realize he gave his life to me and now I want to give my life to him. And, Father, if if anybody prayed or wants to do that, I pray that they'd ask somebody and say, how can I know for sure that I've I've invited Christ to be my Savior? And Father, for the rest of us, help us to live our lives um, according to the two great commands, loving God and loving others. We ask this in Jesus' name.